Good day, and welcome to episode 196, 196 of The Effect podcast, Pushed to the Limit. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. Yeah, and 196 plus 4 is 200. <laughs> well done. <mate. laughs> Basic maths homework done today. Well done, Matthew. <laughs> It's not about the maths. What I'm saying to you, Dave, is what are we going to do for our 200th special episode? Um, Have you thought about that? Well, I, I told you weeks ago, and you've, I've had no ideas out of you. So my, my immediate response to that is some planning, unlike this episode. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, this, so, this so we, episode we, is rather thrown together at the last minute, we but we are a, go on, go on. packed program. I do this bit, Dave. Yes, I, I do this bit. <laughs> we are going to say hello to our new patrons. We're going to have a quick look at the world of gaming, and that's going to include our Dragon Meat report. Actually, I can tell you what our Dragon Meat report is straight away. We worked damned hard. We did. And we sold a lot of books. We that's did. That's it. All over. <laughs> we didn't see anything else. Um, <laughs> no. And then we have got an essay on the cost of pushing, which is triggered by our deliberations over Tales of the Old West. Indeed. But more on that anon. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, straight to, straight to our new patrons then. Who, we have new patrons this time. We do have, we have plural. We have Woo! two new patrons Wonderful. who joined us. Um, and both of them are on our Discord, which is the nicest place on the internet. Um, we've got Michael Gurley. Now, he struggled to get on our Discord, so I'm just going to put this out as a public service announcement. Thank you, Michael, for supporting the podcast. But you were challenged, weren't you? Because um, you uh, messaged me saying, how do I get onto the Discord? <laughs> and I replied, you're already here. We've all waved hello to you. <laughs> and it turned out that he had two Discord names. Um, oh. And the one he actually uses wasn't the one that he'd put into his patron account. And so he had to sort of modify his patron personal details. And then he appeared again. And we all waved hello to him. Uh, he just wanted so, to be waved at more than once, which is fine. <laughs> but yeah, brilliant. Which is fine. Cool. Thank you, Michael. Lovely to have you, uh, have you with us. That's really, that's great. And we also have Reluctant Artsy, who is not only on the Discord, but also uh, he's gone right in with all the conversation. Absolutely. Lovely chap from uh, Calgary, I believe, in, uh, that'll be Alberta. Yeah. In Canada, I think. Um, and uh, so it's probably quite cold there already. Hello to you. Um, I don't actually know your real name, but Reluctant Artsy is how you are known on the Discord and also on Patreon. I'm just so checking. Thank you. I'm just checking. Yes, Calgary is in Alberta, so we haven't instantly offended him, so, <laughs> which is good because we, we're we're quite good at instantly offending patrons, particularly around the pronunciation of their names if it's not English, yes. uh, and probably sometimes if it is English actually. So I can entirely understand why Reluctant Artsy keeps his name secret because we'll only make a mess of it when we try and try and pronounce it. But yeah, brilliant. Thank you for being with us. Thank you both. It's um yeah, it's fabulous to have your support. And it lets us carry on doing this kind of drivel. So, so yeah, yeah. Woo, let's keep doing it. So, yes, we can do some more of this sort of drivel, um, including the world of gaming. Yes. So, um, and this slightly touches on our Dragon Meat report as well, because so that's true. just at the last minute before Dragon Meat, uh, the uh, fulfilment of the Blade Runner uh, game started to happen and so um well, particularly we were able U to sell particularly in the Blade uk Runner. as well yeah yeah yes yeah so it's been out in america for some time that all gone smoothly but i think um he here in the uk we were delayed getting stocks of the starter kit out of port and into the distributors but it all started happening so um people have got it in their hands now i've got a copy me too um can I say something a bit meh about it? <laughs> Go on. It's not meh. Mm. This is this is this is this is critique. Uh, yeah, but my critique is meh. Um, <laughs> oh, you are excellent as as insightful and informative as usual, then, Matt. <laughs> so obviously, uh, because I am doing a bit of an essay uh, later on the cost of pushing, 
I wanted to pull out my brand new copy of the Blade Runner um, hardback to just, you know, remind myself what the cost of pushing was. Was it what I remembered it was from the time we played it? Um, and you know how freely games always sort of feel special? Mm. This feels like a bulk standard hardback role-playing game. So I, I yeah, I... I have a, a a similar thing. So, I I've been I've been whilst I've been watching a lot of football, uh, I've had the book on the sofa next to me, thinking I'll flick through it while I'm watching the football, and I haven't really done a lot of it. But my my wife even said, "Ooh, that's a small book." So I I think I think Free League have made a bit of a rod for their back with books like Coriolis and Alien in particular, which are bumper monsters of books. So when you pick them up, there's heft. And there's tons and tons of content, and I think for free league, they they feel that that size of book is a bit too big. Generally, I think for probably production purposes and probably distribution weight costs and all the rest of it, so they're wanting to make the book slightly smaller. But then you get a book that's slightly smaller, looks a bit thinner, and you think, oh, that's not the heft yeah, that I expect I mean, from free league. And I, so I think they've made a rod for their own back by by what by, they've done by with, their other lovely books. Yeah. yeah. Because they are so, so lovely, yeah. So it's uh, 230 pages before you hit the index, um, which should be plenty in terms of page count. But it wasn't that. It wasn't the thinness, although now you mention it, I'm looking at that going, it is okay. quite thin compared yeah. to my lovely Coriolis book or the Alien book, um, as you say. Uh, but it's just, a, you know, it's got a shiny cover. Uh, obviously, because it's science fiction, all the pages have to be black, um, which is a particular bugbear of mine, but that's okay, I suppose. There's nothing special about the paper. There's nothing special about the cover. Mm. There's nothing special about how they've printed, you know, the glaze on the cover, you know, the, the images. and Yeah. The, it, it looks like any old licensed role-playing game. Yeah. It doesn't look like a free league product. That's yeah. it. Yeah, no, I it's, it's, I'm, 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 I'm cogitating whilst I'm trying to think of a, a insightful and interesting response that our listeners would enjoy listening to. I'm struggling, obviously, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it's still got all the fabulous artwork. I mean, I do feel that the artwork feels a bit alien in style. I guess just probably because it's just all very dark and, and atmospheric, but it, I mean, it is fabulous still. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there, there is something about that. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm finding it difficult to really pinpoint what it is, other than I think yeah, the heft. Because so I've, I've just I've just whipped Alien off the shelf here, and that's three hundred and eighty something pages before you get to you know the the gump at the back. Um, I mean, Verson is only two hundred and thirty, but it's I guess the 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 paper and stuff they've used in Verson is a bit thicker, perhaps, and so the book carries heft. Yeah. Without the extra pages, so yeah, it's very mm. slick, isn't it? I mean, it's the the the, the Blade Runner book is very slick. The pages are very thin, and feel very uh, smooth, which is a lovely feel, and it's got a good smell. You know, you've got to you've got to sniff a good game book and. If it doesn't have a good smell, then I'm disappointed straight away. But um, yeah, I think just the first impression doesn't carry the oomph or the impact that I think some of Free League's earlier works has carried. No, and if you you know if you compare it to Alien, that being another licensed book, uh, you know, broadly, you know, you've got to conform to certain things like. What, what the licensees want for the logo type and stuff like that, which I'm sure they've had to do with, with Blade Runner. Um, yeah. But, you know, that somehow feels different in your hand. It's got that matte cover as opposed to the shiny one. I don't know. I just, yeah, yeah. I, sorry, meh, I said at the beginning, and meh is kind of what I feel now. Mm. And when we come to my essay, that may happen again. I don't mm. want to spoil things. No, no, but I mean, it's, I mean, I haven't played Blade Runner yet, and I haven't also, I haven't had a good look through the uh, through the starter box set, so I'm not sure mm. what um, what goodies are in there. 
Um, but in terms of the gameplay, I mean, you've played it. I haven't. How how did it play? Because just just before you answer that question, because I I really get why they've gone for the investigative style in in a in a big way. You know, that's what Blade Runner is all about. It's an investigation. But I don't know. I think for me. And this is a comment that's just obviously based on nothing because I haven't played it yet. It's just a, just a, a feeling and impression. For me, the investigation is an important part of it, but it's not the be-all and end-all of of the story. And it feels a bit like in the game, it is kind of up there as, okay. as the be-all and end-all of the story. So I need to unpack what you mean about the be-all and end-all of the story. In, in terms of the the, the 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 investigation is the is the kind of the primary thrust of what you're doing, and, and every game will have a or needs to have a deep investigative kind of element to it, where you're searching for clues and examining photos and all the rest of it. Where, yeah. Okay. Whereas, whereas for me, I think the you can have a role playing game that has an investigation in it that doesn't need all of that, but then can get into questions of you know the whole morality of the replicant thing and um you know exploring you know living in fear as as roy said so again i'm i'm coming from a point of never having played the game so i may be way off beam but it's just my initial impressions well um i don't want to say how i'm going to conclude uh my essay that's happening later on otherwise nobody will sit through it and it's going to be quite a long one so I very few people will sit through it anyway so you know I mean. but one of the things <laughs> i didn't one of the things <laughs> i say is actually i don't think the push mechanic works for an investigative game right. um and i've got to say and this is a broader thing i've not played you know i played one adventure i played the starter adventure with them um, with them um, um with them um, Oh my god, I've got his name, Bruce GMing. Yep. Um, sorry, Bruce. I don't sorry, forget, Bruce, I, forget I don't, your name there. I don't forget your name. Only Matthew forgets your name. He's a bastard. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bruce GM'd it and it was great, you know, thoroughly enjoyed playing. But I'm also running uh, playing in Dave's uh, Twilight two thousand game. Yeah, yeah. And I have I think the same problem with both about the mechanics, which for, I'm just gonna for the push mechanic. Now, this isn't a push mechanic now. I'm, going, right. I'm not spoiling that. You have to listen to Mercy for that bit. <laughs> but the mechanics, the the uh, two-stepped die yep. mechanic instead of the dice pool. Yep. So one of the things that slightly bugs me is bonuses are now applied as a step up on the die with a maximum of 2d12, which yep. means that actually uh, for competent characters, bonuses are really quite limited. You can top out pretty um, quickly, yeah. Yeah, you can top out pretty quickly. You can, um, uh, I, I mean, I think there is something about the push mechanic which I explore a bit more in the game. But again, um, you, uh, you know, so in in the Forbidden Lands, you can roll a bunch of dice and actually break yourself because they all come up ones. Yeah. In in this game, you will only ever get two points of damage or stress or whatever yep. when you break yourself because you've only got two dice. So it can only be two ones. Uh, so th all of that, I feel, is a bit limiting to me. And I don't feel Blade Runner... I mean, Blade Runner, the mechanics aren't investigative in a way that I think um, Tales from the Loop and Verson are. The mechanics are pretty bog-standard. So I think you could run a non-investigative adventure, but I'd argue, what's the point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not arguing against doing investigations. I was arguing that the, the way it's set up, it seems that Blade Runner expects you to have fancy handouts and, you know, letters yeah. that you can explore and all the rest of it. And Absolutely. And, and, and the photos, and I, the point-and-click adventure. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think you should need that to run a good investigation in a... Yeah, in a, well, in, I, in a I, I think you probably do because um, otherwise there's not much investigation. No, well, I disagree. I mean, you can, you can investigate... Uh, yeah, and find clues, and then have to put the clues together. You can investigate more narratively than being given a oh, photo. Oh yeah, absolutely. Than being, than being given a photo and finding the 
the tiny corner of the photo that is actually you can clue. and what i'm saying is verson is a great game where you get into character and you investigate yeah um through conversation more than through um you know looking for clues in the photo because you yeah. don't get those i mean you may get handouts but not many of them uh as verson works like that the 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 system at its at its core is an investigative system i don't think this one is yeah okay that's what i'm saying so Based to make the, it investigative, the they've got a lot of hands out. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, okay. And, and therefore, I think if you want to run a, you know, a fun investigative game, I can see myself only playing the starter adventure with new groups every time. Because of course, unlike the alien starter adventures, I don't think you can play it twice with the same group, which I think you could do with the alien ones. Yeah. Here, uh, you're kind of stuck. Um, with playing it with new groups every time yes. and then when a new one comes out I'll play that with new groups yeah. I cannot imagine sitting down with a core book and creating mysteries for my Blade Runners to find yeah, I can't I mean, imagine doing a campaign we talked about this a while ago and, and it does potentially bring an enormous expectation overhead on the GMs to produce something yeah. similar to that that's been produced by, by Free League um, to, 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 uh, to emulate that style of game or that type of game which I think, you know, some gems would, would be fine with that, would love it. I mean, I remember back in the day spending, you know, weeks over scenarios and building up all sorts of different handouts and player aids and things. Um, but I guess that was when I was 15 and I had a bit more spare time to do it. I, I wouldn't really have time to do it justice now, and I'm not sure I could do it sufficient no. justice, actually, by... Certainly not in terms of the imagery. Um, that would be a, I don't know. It would be it would be a challenge. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, I have not so, got an argument for you there. So Blade Runner is is coming out. Is is so most of you now by the time you hear this should have had your um, your your pledges filled. I hope, fingers crossed. All except Bruce. All except course, Bruce. Because... He seems to be the one person that has been denied uh, denied that. <laughs> Obviously, I think, said, I think I think a few others of our, of our patrons who've been discussing it on the on the Discord mm. haven't got it as well, but so, only a few. So I think there's so there's a couple of interesting things here, which I don't intend to segue into our dragon meat discussion, but um, this the uh, this um, is kind of relevant. So obviously at Dragon Meat, with the timing such as they were, we had quite a lot of Blade Runner stock um, at the same time that quite a few backers hadn't had their their products through the door yet and there was, there was a there was a you know there was a logistics timing issue which was which was a bit unfortunate so we, we did what we could for those backers who who came to dragon meat and wanted to collect their pledge from us we were we were doing that or in fact you were doing that you, you sort of took on the, the mm. that difficult little task um but i think there, there there were a few people there was one person i had who very very politely told me how rude it was that Free League was doing this, and I I could kind of see that a little bit. I think you know as a backer, you 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 kind of expect um, your product to arrive in your hand before someone could buy it somewhere else, which is which is a, a reasonable expectation. Um, I mean, it's kind of simultaneous. It's kind of all at the same time, and I think quite a few people who did come to pick up their pledges finally. You know, realise that actually, we might as well just wait another couple of days because it'll be through the door anyway. Um, yeah, and in fact, um, we we gave out five or six pledges. Yeah. Um, and two of them had actually already been sent. It when when I gave the names to um, to Games Quest, they'd already sent two yeah. copies out. So two of those people have got two copies of everything. Yeah. Um, so the challenge being that Games Quest kind of a little bit, you know. Some companies send out a, sh a shipping notice as soon as they've told the shippers it's here ready to be picked up. You know, they've printed the label effectively. Um, Games Quest don't do that because they don't want you to wait too long. So generally you get your shipping notice about a day or two before it arrives. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, there were people where it was already in the mail to them, effectively, who hadn't had their shipping notice yet. and. We gave them a copy, so it's coming. It's simultaneous, genuinely yeah, simultaneous. Yeah. And you know, I, I I can understand why some people might be a little bit have their nose put out of joint. But I mean, you know, the the, the logistics and the issues. Um, 
you know, and there were fifteen thousand two hundred and something backers for this game. So it's it's not yeah, an, which it's is not an insi- interesting. It's not an insignificant logistics challenge. And although we did yeah. have a couple of people come to us and and you know want to reflect their complaint about how slow things were or or how um, they weren't getting the response from free league support that they were after, we only had one or two of those. And mm. as 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 unfortunate it is for those individuals. Um, that, you know, it, it it's a pretty good hit rate if you're getting a handful out of fifteen thousand. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a pain. It's a pain in the neck if you're. It's like you know, it's like saying you know about war. Yes, there were only light casualties. Well, that's fine unless you were one of those light casualties, in which case it's pretty yeah. bloody shit. So. Yeah, I don't have much sympathy though. I think you know, you you back that's, a thing. That's because you're a shit man. Because you want it to happen, you don't. You don't back a thing because you want it first. It's nice when you get it first and you can do a an unboxing before anybody's seen it or whatever on YouTube. But actually, you backed it because you wanted that thing to happen, and um, and it's happening. And, although, you know, although actually, happening. yeah, I mean that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Although I suspect not everyone who backs Kickstarters feels the same way as you do. Well, so I, obviously. You know, Obviously, you know, don't because a couple of people said to you how rude it was. Um, yeah, so so I think I think I, I agree with you. Whenever I do a Kickstarter, I I fire and forget, and it'll turn up when it turns up, or in some rare cases, it never turns up. But you know, the the rare cases I've had for that, there's been good reason, and I don't mind. It's fine. Yeah. And you know, um, to be honest, there's a good reason for this. If we haven't actually, you know, if the stuff's been made, but it's not coming out of the port for whatever reason. Yeah, we can't send it to you. All the Americans got theirs first because you know it wasn't held up in America. Um, I don't think Reluctant Artsy in Calgary has got his copy yet, so the Canadians are still waiting. Yeah, um, but uh, uh, you know, yeah, you know, th- crap happens, particularly post-pandemic with shipping and stuff like that. It's tough. It's tough. Now, more interestingly, though. <laughs> You remember me saying how disappointed I was in the sales we did of Blade Runner at um, Dragon Meat. At Dragon Meat, <laughs> I mean, it was still like their second or third best-selling line, but we, you know, we sold a lot of Cyborg, we sold a lot of Verson. Yeah. Um, and I was expecting Blade Runner to disappear as quickly as Alien had when we first took Alien to Dragon Meat. Yeah. After that pre-order. Um, but Thomas, when when I so I wrote a report for Thomas and I mentioned that in passing, and he said, "Yeah, bear in mind that, as you said, fifteen thousand people have ordered, um, have backed it, yeah, Blade Runner over the thing." Um, interestingly, for the first time, he told me that um, Alien only had about three thousand pre-orders for their pre-order okay. campaign. So, given the hype there was around it and the excitement that we were picking up off the internet. I'd imagined it was a lot more than 3,000, but um, yeah. actually only 3,000 people had ordered it in advance. So there was a lot of unfulfilled interest in Alien at that first Dragon Meat. It's no yeah. wonder we sold out so quickly. No, no, indeed. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing, isn't it, actually? if Is, it, is this an indicator of um, Free League slowly breaking the US market or breaking into the US market? Whereas Alien was quite an early adopter for them in the US, you know, in in the mm. US, certainly in terms of of big big games that will have a big splash. But here we are, what three years later with Blade Runner, very similar kind of thing. Or you could almost argue that Blade Runner as a franchise is possibly smaller than Alien. Alien is a bigger yeah, franchise. I would have thought so. Um, yeah. And here it's they are, more select audience. Here they are with a with five times the the, the, the backers in their pledge. So maybe that indicates yeah. how well the well, free that... brand is now brand is now working its way through the US market. Perhaps it may well be about the free league brand because obviously Alien would have got the free league brand in a bunch of people's faces. But is it also about Kickstarter? Is it just about the power of the if you like the social marketing that goes on around Kickstarter Possibly. versus a pre order? Um, interesting stuff. Me, yeah, I'm sure. A, I'm sure Thomas has more thoughts on that. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, mm. you know, and so many companies now who, in theory, could support the production and creation of their game 
and you know and then pre-order it or even you know or even not pre-order it just distribute it um that you know so many of those companies go to kickstarter to do their pre-orders is it because it's that powerful a marketing tool possibly yeah yeah that's interesting so talking of pre-orders um i've seen that the uh that the all the books for war stories have now arrived with uh, with firelock um not with not with backers yet i don't think but they are now being distributed so i don't know how long that's going to take but um, there's a couple of nice videos of, I, I guess it's Al's hands flicking through both the, uh, the the core book and the campaign book on on YouTube Ooh, on, um, nice. on on Facebook. So that's that's nice. So so they are they are done. They are they are ready to go, or probably are going. So if you've backed War Stories, um, I'd, I I haven't seen any any hard copies yet myself. But if you've backed it, I think over the next I don't know. Let's be realistic. In the next month. You should be getting them. I think you'll be unlikely to get them before Christmas now. With do you, you have certainly... no idea whether they've all gone to America and they need to go from America to the distributor here? I don't know. First. I don't know. Yeah, or um, whether some were shipped here. Yeah, interesting. Because I, I don't know whether they got them printed. I think they went for a homegrown printer because they were having trouble with their overseas printers in in mm. in the wake of the pandemic. So I think they they sourced a new American printer. So I suspect it's it's uh it's all in the US and it's got to be shipped from there. So it yeah. might take might take a little bit longer for for those of us in the UK who are waiting to get their hands on a hard copy. Um but yeah, so I just talking of pre-orders because that was a pre-order. Uh yeah, that just sure. reminded me that that it's coming. It's coming. It's See, definitely so coming. So when I say have you got any world of gaming news, that's the sort of stuff that you should be remembering. <laughs> that is one of the things that I I was trying to remember that I forgot until then. <laughs> right. Um the other the other uh, vaguely interesting thing, I'm not massively interested in this, but uh, it caught my eye was Space 1889 is having Yet another Kickstarter, but this is a new version, I think from a new company, and it's moved on 10 years. It's Space 1999 now. 1899. 1899. 1899 um and that has always i can't remember when that was back in the day it came out at games designers workshop frank chadwick i think was the writer yeah it it totally destroyed steampunk before it totally destroyed the idea that steampunk could be fun even before steampunk had really happened yeah um uh, i i I just lost interest in it. It, w- it wasn't a great game then. Um, I don't even know. Now Now we're getting to it. I don't even know why we're talking about it. <laughs> this new version, we though. Didn't, it, we didn't have much to talk about on World of Gaming this week. Oh, yeah. yeah I although, guess we've that, taken, that although we've it. taken half an hour talking about the World of Gaming, nearly. So, um, um, so anyway, uh, World of Gaming, yes, um, so it's there. It, the, there's the, going to be a 5e version of it. Oh, jolly good. Excellent. That's, that's good to hear. We need more 5e. More 5e, people. Let's get more 5e out in the world. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of steampunk. It's just not a genre that really has, has gripped me. The The one game that we played that I did enjoy that was steampunk was Airship Pirates. I did enjoy yeah. that, but probably less for the steampunk element and the more for the it's fun flying around as airship rag and bone men. Um, idea yeah but i enjoyed that that was good but not i don't think because of the steampunk element to it um i i would you know looking at space 1899 it makes me think well maybe a space 1999 game might be fun um which it probably would be uh, that's w- a good brand <laughs> with with the exception of the really really kind of ridiculous premise <laughs> of the moon floating off which is a bit bonkers frankly but um <laughs> Uh, yeah, because you know, the, I mean, the funniest thing is they've got no, you know, the the, the moon floats off. It's going to take probably fifty thousand years before it even leaves the solar system. 
um, whatever you wanted now, to find you, that you as. See, your your problem take, is you take, thought it's the moon take f- millions or billions of years to get anywhere yeah, else where, they, where they're going to bump into somebody interesting to have a story with so you, you you think the moon floating off is floating off at less than the speed of light actually that explosion accelerated it beyond the speed of light so that they could have a new adventure with a every new planet week. every week <laughs> yeah, obviously but thing is though those adventures are very short because they're going past so fast that they yeah. have to go hello oh bye Oh, that was quick. That was fun. See that was my, nice to meet those people. Oh, here they go. Hello, oh, bye. Oh shit. Okay. That, yeah. So, um, so uh, as much yeah. as I love Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, it is bonkers, isn't it? Really? The premise was bonkers. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And, but the Eagle is one of the best designed spaceships. <laughs> I ever, knew we'd get there. Yeah, ever seen. I've still got my cop, my little model that Andy, our friend Andy, um, three D printed for me. Please I ought to. I ought to. I ought to paint it really. But it sits here by my thing, and I I look at it every time I sit at my computer. It's a. It's a thing of it's a thing of subtle style and beauty. Anyway. Right, so we've um, we've put a downer on Blade Runner. We've put a downer on Space eighteen eighty nine. The we've only thing we're going to talk to about now is Dragon Meat. What what do you want to say that was crap about that? Oh, it was shit. No, it wasn't. It was superb. Um, busy, 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 busy. I mean, we didn't draw breath. The only the only time either of us left the uh, the stand from sort of nine o'clock to what, seven o'clock when we finished putting it down was when it was either that or I was going to wet myself. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to point out, you took three toilet breaks, mate. I didn't take one. Well, I'm you obvi- I, I, I just have clearly a... Uh, tiny, tiny bladder. Or a super developed prostrate, one or the other, or both. Possibly. One of the two. Um, but yes, uh, it, was, it was fabulous. I mean, we, we had queues of people... Um, waiting to buy stuff which I've never seen before you know mm-hmm. queues of you know like 10 12 people long you know and it, it was a bit like it was, it was a bit like a a, a well you know, a WW what is it, WWF World Wrestling Federation uh, tag team you know with me and you <laughs> so at the you know we would we would we've got the one till which is a little iPad with all the stuff on it yeah. and you know you'd be feverishly selling on that on that little iPad to the point where I think, I can't do this anymore. Can I find an excuse to give it to Matt? And then I'll give it to you. You do it like that for like 20 minutes. And then, oh, I've had enough of this. Can I find an excuse to give it to Dave? So, um, but it was great. I mean, we saw so many people sold loads of stuff. We we, we doubled the, the previous year's uh, footfall and take, I think. Um, mm. Hopefully, Free League were, were pleased with, uh, with that outcome. Um, and yeah, you know, this isn't even getting on to the real highlight of the weekend, which was um, meeting up with some of our some of our friends and patrons, and particularly Nicholas uh, at Nick Jar yeah. on the Discord, who flew over from who, Sweden specially for Dragon Meat. But it was it was you know I've obviously you know I've known Nicholas now for a few years, seen him a lot online, and it was it was my reaction when I saw him kind of through the crowd when I was stood at the bar. It was almost like I don't know. Um, He's like, it's Nicholas, it's Nicholas. Ah! He was like shocked, shocked. But it was absolutely wonderful to meet him in the flesh for the first time. Fabulous to see Neil and Craig again. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Paul and uh, Peter and Peter's brother, Robin, who Robin. I, I thought was Roger. Roger. Sorry, sorry, Robin. Um, fabulous to see all you guys and meet Robin for the first time. Um, it's just a pity that for, for some of them that, that aren't staying, like, you know, like. Um, like Paul, Peter, and Robin, um, we didn't have time to stop and have a cup of tea with them because we were so busy. And yeah. then obviously they were going home by the time we were finished. So uh, mm. that, that, that seems to be the way with uh, uh, with that crowd, which is a real pity because it would be nice to spend a bit more time just just chatting and chilling with them. But fabulous! Yeah. I you know I love the conventions, particularly for meeting all my old friends. It's lovely for meeting new friends as well, uh, and it went by in a flash. It had a great time. Yeah, and uh, thank you again to uh, both Nicholas and Neil who helped us pack up the stand. At the yes, end of the day. absolutely. And Neil yeah. indeed helped us set it up and the, the day before. But um, yeah, Box Boy I, is very very helpful. It's, it's a real pleasure <laughs> to have. I, I mean, Neil, sorry, is uh, we don't we don't use him treat him as a slave or anything, do we? So uh, no, no, hardly ever. <laughs> Never actually, not hardly <laughs> ever. Come on, no, but fabulous. Well, uh, and, and yeah. 
And then we had a lovely meal at Latimer's on the second night, a pub where I've been mm-hmm. to three times now and uh, haven't been disappointed uh, on any occasion. That's a, a nice little tradition, actually. Now, I think we should do that every time we're at, Lat- at Latimer's at Dragon Meat. Because that's uh, exactly well. If Dragon Meat moves, as is rumoured next year, that's it's going to be a bit of a long walk. That will be a long one. <laughs> that's fair. Shall we move on to my yes. essay, which Go is occasioned uh, because we're getting very excited about Tales of the Old West. We're still not um, entirely sure about our push mechanic, and so we're thinking about that. And as part of that thought, I thought, yeah, maybe I should just do a view of what all the different push mechanics are like in all the different games, and so. We have an essay on the cost of pushing. One of the things I love about the Year Zero engine is the push mechanic. I don't know if it was first written as such, but it has become the single mechanic that most changes the feel of a game, and thus the mechanic that most makes it fit the genre or setting of the game. Occasionally, actually, the push mechanic is pretty much the same in every Year Zero engine game. You get to roll the dice again. It's the cost of that re-roll that adds all the flavour. Now, let's have a look at how the cost of pushing your roll has developed from game to game. The first Year Zero game offered a pretty deadly cost. The degradation of your body mind and equipment. For those unfamiliar with the game, you roll different coloured dice for your skill, attribute and any equipment bonus. Any ones rolled on attribute or equipment dice cannot be re-rolled and those ones, together with any more rolled on anything that's not a skill dice, damage the attribute and or equipment that you used to make the roll. Each one you roll is taken off that attribute or equipment bonus, which means you roll fewer dice until you can recover or repair your weapon. If you lose the entire equipment bonus, that piece of equipment is destroyed, and if you lose all the points from any of your stats, you are broken. Which is a high cost, but I love it. Not that I've ever played Mutant Year Zero, but I have played Forbidden Lands, which has the same system for pushing your roll, and in that game it makes fights short and encourages players to change tactics to solve problems. These systems mitigate the pain of ones causing damage by awarding the character points to fuel their mutant powers in Mutant Year Zero or talents and magic in Forbidden Lands. Apart from the subsequent mutant books, Genlab Alpha and the like, which only change the nature of the points you get and the powers that they fuel, the first proper adaptation of the Year Zero engine to a new setting was Coriolis. Free League had toyed with making Coriolis a fate-based game before returning to the mutant Year Zero system. But though the environment of space is meant to be harsh, the game is not meant to feel like a struggle for survival. So the idea of managing your resources, either your equipment or your physical and mental resources, conflicts with the feel of the game. It's meant to be a little more pulpy. So, for example, rather than damage reducing your strength stat, you have hit points calculated by adding strength and agility. And ones don't wear you down in this game. Ones rolled have no effect. Ones could even be re-rolled when you push your dice. The cost of pushing in this game is a darkness point. I feel they might have been inspired by fate points, but they don't work the same way. The player does not earn darkness points like they do in fate. There is no limit to how many the players can spend. It's almost the opposite of the careful resource management of mutant and forbidden lands. The third horizon is a setting of plenty. Players can push as many roles as they like. Lady Luck is still fickle, pushing 
as often as you like does not mean succeeding as often as you like, but characters in Coriolis are inherently more competent than those in Mutant. Darkness points are karmic. Players generate as many as they want, but the GMs get to spend them to make things more difficult for players. Now, what appears to be quite elegant at first glance turns out to be potentially clunky as the GM learns how to spend the points. Challenging the characters and making the adventure more exciting for players can, with one wrong decision, become being a dick. And no GM wants that. Things are simpler in the next variant, Tales from the Loop. In that game, players pick a condition for their character if they want to push their dice. Younger kids also get a few luck points to spend on pushes, but in contrast to Coriolis, there is effectively a hard limit to the number of pushes. Push too often and you will break yourself, sitting out the rest of the scene while you run to your safe space to play out a domestic scene and recover. In the teen version, Things from the Flood, when you get broken, you also get a scar. So push too much in that game and your character might get written out entirely through death or at least moving away. This system successfully recreates the sort of teen drama we watched as kids in the 70s and 80s or even Stranger Things. It empowers the characters but makes the players somewhat more reluctant to roll dice. It's worth pointing out too that those two games are player-facing, so the GM never rolls, and only acts when the kids fail their roll. For that reason, perhaps, players seem more inclined to role-play, R-O-L-E, their characters, rather than role-play, R-O-L-L, their stats. Skipping over perhaps the most elegant push cost, for a moment, let's jump to Versen, which uses the same push at the cost of a condition mechanic as the Tales games. While Versen is not player facing, the limited number of conditions once again serves to limit the number of pushes the player makes. Players become more willing to accept failure, which once again encourages role playing. Dave and I keep saying, it must be getting boring now. We are constantly surprised by how into character players get when playing Versen. This seems right for an investigative game where finding things out, not fighting things out, is the most important objective. Alien, though, was a game changer. In this game, the push mechanic and the genre blended so well that a whole new audience fell in love with the Year Zero engine games. Push a role in this game and you get stress. Stress affords you an extra die to add to all future roles. So actually, your character gets more competent with stress. At first. In Alien, the ones come back into play, not on your normal dice, but on your stress dice. Roll a one on a stress dice and you have to make a panic roll. The result of that panic roll is added to the number of stress points and dice that you have and gets worse, even deadly in some situations, for the more stressed characters. It's brilliant. It captures the feel of the films perfectly. Say no more. The ones are in play in Twilight 2002. This game changes up the Year Zero system, swapping out most of the D6s in the pool for stepped polyhedrals, D6 to D12. But the cost of pushing goes old school. Ones on a pushed roll cause damage or stress, depending on whether the skill you rolled with was physical or mental. This time, though, there is no distinction between attribute and skill die. 
So both types cause you damage. You are only rolling two dice, though. Uh, so the maximum damage from pushing is two. You're unlikely to break yourself through pushing. When firing a gun, you also add ammo dice to the ball, and ones rolled on these will damage your weapon. It's pretty much the same with Blade Runner, though that game does not have ammo dice. The rules are a little different for replicants, in that all damage from pushing is taken as stress, whatever skill you rolled. Like Mutant and Forbidden Lands, Twilight 2000 is a resource management game, even though you don't directly reduce your stats with damage. Blade Runner is an investigative game, but doesn't particularly have a push-cost system that reflects that in the way that Verson and the Tales games do. I have to say, I am not yet a huge fan of the stepped dice version of the Year Zero engine. Which of these different cost mechanics for pushing work best to emulate the genre? In my opinion, it's Alien by A Country Mile, then Forbidden Lands, and finally Verson. The next question is, what can Dave and I learn from these? for Tales of the Old West. So this is about thinking about how we do pushes and what they cost in Tales of the Old West. And what we want is something that fits the genre. Now, I will say Tales of the Old West is not an investigative game. It is not a resource management game. And neither is it a game about being scared in the dark. So the three if you like, best models of push cost have been about when you're creating an investigative game and that's about conditions. When you're doing a resource management game, it's about stat damage. And where you're... Um, uh, what's the third one? What's the third Scare. one I said? Scares. Scared. Horror, it's horror. alien. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, now, I'm going to give a buy to Coriolis because I love, you know... The cost mechanic is a little bit clunky because you've got to be a GM that uses darkness points um, and you yeah. use, learn how to use them well. But I love everything that goes around that with the prayer and preparatory prayer and stuff like that. So I'm giving that a buy, but it's not actually a great system. The three great systems. I mean, it can are... it can be it can be a great system, but it takes quite a lot of GM kind of yeah. thought and and agility, mental agility, at the time to make it so. It can easily fall into a system that does become just a bit like punishing your players. Yeah, no, 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 so that's the key thing. So it's not great because it you know it depends on the quality of the GMing, whereas the other ones mechanically do the job that the game needs. Yeah. Um, whether they know it or not, I, I kind of feel that... Well, I don't know, but I, I'm not convinced that Nils and the others when they were creating Tales in the Loop and Verson thought, oh yes, this really makes people role play. But it does. It does, yeah. Um, so those are the three systems we've got there. Now, I guess where I'm going here is, with Tales in the Old West, what is the thing in the genre that we want to try and recreate with the cost system? Yep. You're meant to answer that question, Dave. <laughs> uh, uh, I know. That's fine. So, I mean, the... So, I mean, the, the, the key thing is that you you are able to reinvent yourself and uh, you make, your, make, make a new life, effectively, in the West. And in, in doing so, you... Uh, yeah, you, 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 I guess you fall back. You rely upon something, yeah, and we're calling that something faith, uh, and that faith can be pretty much anything you want it to be. Um, the the reason I'm like kind of hesitating and stumbling is because, you know, we we've, we've long um, sort of struggled with getting the faith mechanic right. I don't think we've got it right at the moment. Um, there's. You know, there's there's my initial kind of sense that 
faith should be something that you could possibly lose. But in playing, yeah, I think you've got to get. But in playing, Sorry. that doesn't come out terribly well in the way we've got it at the moment. So that that there's a there's a there's a struggle there. There's a there's a conflict. Um, and maybe you know losing the the, the 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 chance of losing your faith should perhaps be a narrative thing that you might want to allow your players to sort of build as they play the game and learn their character, get to know their character better. Um, right. Okay. Can we can we just unpack that a bit? Because well, no, actually, it's come back to that. So we started off basing this game on um, on Forbidden Lands. Oh, I see. That's, yeah. You know, that's essentially um, where we started. We got we'd got Forbidden Lands, and we kind of went, oh, we could make a western out of this, and that's kind of the beginning of our conversation. Now we moved away from that because although there is a there's a kind of resource management element in um, in westerns. Uh, that idea of you you don't see that idea of fights being so rough and dirty that you injure yourself doing damage to other people. Which is what I love about Forbidden Lands is that feels to me like a lot of the really good dark gritty um, fantasy and medieval combat films like um or, or books the one i always use is um the, the 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 first law books um so you know people generally uh in in the genre of westerns can punch each other out and they don't they don't you, you don't often see them nursing their their bloody knuckles they don't really that. suffer for that no, no yeah exactly. yeah so we kind of moved away from that. We moved away as well from the resource management one. It, it could have been more like that because, you know, if we'd be doing something like an Oregon Trail story, then we could do that. But we, we went kind of deadward. We were interested in the idea of building not just yourself, but your new society, uh, the shining city on the hill, maybe. Um, yeah. And and so this is, this is more deadwoody. It's more urban. So that resource management thing doesn't apply there. Um, I'm very keen on faith because uh, faith, uh, well, because of manifest destiny uh, and faith being used as an excuse to build an empire from a nation that had said it wasn't going to build an empire. That's all part of that as well. Um, yeah, so I, so think very, faith, I, think, I think the philosophy of faith as, or the principle of faith as our push mechanic is absolutely spot on. I, you know, I, I like, you, know, you had the idea in the first instance, or, you know, uh, I liked it straight away, uh, and I still like it. I think it's great. I think it's just we need to work out how we how we get the mechanics to work it work it properly and get the right f yeah. feel feel from it. Which we've we've tried a number of different things. When none of them has really quite hit the sweet spot yet, and I think we've got a little bit of work left to, to try and yeah. find that. So, sweet but spot. essentially, I guess just for those of our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, because only a select few of our patrons have actually seen versions of Tales of the Old West. Uh, essentially, faith is a points-based system, which is, you know, we don't have points. I mean, we have darkness points in Coriolis, but they're not points that the players have. There's not a, a limited number of them. Um, and in this game, uh, there is. You you have faith points at the beginning of the adventure. Some of the things you do earn you faith points, um, but eventually you run out of faith points. So there's that. So there is a basic cost. There's something that limits um, pushing. But we're also looking for a bit of feedback on that. Do you want to talk more about that? So I, I think the what we haven't really nailed is I think we've got our, our cost of pushing. Sort of, <laughs> we've got the cart before the horse, I think, a little bit. Uh, in the, as you said there, you're... you're you're pushing your ability to push is limited by the amount of faith you've got but the only cost you have in pushing is being able to push slightly less a bit later on unless you earn more faith and i yes. think i think we need to do something more in the cost of pushing yeah exactly so that's um, the thing and and so far it being limited yeah so far our latest version is uh, to have a single dice or that can increase from your dice pool so it's not additional dice like in stress 
but it's always a chance of something going wrong. You're calling it a mishap. I've got, I've just had a bit of a problem with that name most recently that we we can discuss outside this time. Um, but you know, there, there's an idea that you roll a one on that dice, or you can you can get more for various reasons, uh, and then you push. Then or you roll a one when you push, or if you push with that one rolled, then you have to take a, a mishap, and that's that's that sort of direct cost feedback cost as it were but we so, haven't yeah so again we I haven't think, got that bit quite right yet so I so I, yeah so I, I so almost that's almost slightly separate for me in in the we're talking about uh you know a player should be thinking as they do in other games i guess it's slightly different with with uh with, with mutant and, and forbidden lands but Bear with me, where the, the player says, "I'm going to push," and you know, in in games, they know that there's a cost that comes with doing that. I'm accepting this cost, so you know, darkness point in Coriolis, getting a point of stress in Alien, whatever it might be. There is a definitive, defined, well-known advanced cost that you're going to have to pay by pushing. Um, we don't have that. We have a risk, so we have a limit mm. on the number of times you can push. And then we have a risk that your mishap die might come up a one if you push the roll. And so, so that it, it's if, if you see what I mean, it, it's like one the the risk of a mishap or the mishap mechanic is one step kind of removed from the push. So, what I would like well, to I consider, would, I would say is, that that happens in Alien as well, and uh in it, well in most of them except for verson and tales in the loop well i, I guess say, in alien i'm paying you, this cost you know for sure you're going to get a a, a die of stress yeah um yeah and sometimes but that's that can work to your you, advantage you want to get sometimes you want, yeah, but that, yeah that's why the alien push mechanic is so fucking brilliant brilliant yeah. <laughs> you know um <laughs> you'll notice that's the shortest paragraph because i've got least to say about that yeah because it's just perfect that is what yeah <laughs> so that's that's kind of you know, I, I would like to aspire to getting somewhere along the track towards alien stress brilliantness, um, whilst recognising that you probably can't top that. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think. Um, but, and also, you, you can't use stress in an alien in a cowboy game. I feel that is not the mechanic. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting. No. No, I'm not no, suggesting yeah. that we should. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm suggesting that we need a mechanic that feels as narratively and mechanically right Perfect. and proper and uh, seamless. Exactly, seamless yes. is the word I'm looking for. Um, so I so so I think there's definitely something about the players that we should consider at least that there that you know some kind of upfront cost for pushing. Uh, quite what that'll be, I don't know. But I think the mishap die thing works quite well. Certainly in the playtesting that I've been doing, it's um, it works well. It doesn't it doesn't come back to bite you very often, because the occasions where people have felt the need to push when they've already got a mishap on the mishap die are quite low. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, if you roll a you know if if you, it's only one dice, so you know one in six chance of getting a one if you re-roll it. So it doesn't it doesn't create. That risk doesn't come back to, you know, isn't realised very often, I guess is what I'm getting to in that. So I think I think there's something... <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm bouncing a little bit here because... So there's an issue for me. I don't think that using faith is prominent enough in players' minds when they are playing the game. So alien, stress... You know about stress. Stress is you're talking about stress all the time. Uh, darkness points. You know how many darkness points you're building up. It's there. It's 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 a pr ever present in the game. I don't think faith is at the moment the way we've got it set up, and I want it to be. Okay. I guess is the point I'm getting at. <laughs> in a very long-winded way of getting there. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can have. So, uh, I I like the mishap die quite a lot. But um, I did also try a uh, random loss of faith points. 
in one of the games I did where any ones you get on your die cost some of your pool of faith. So you don't know. Every time you roll your dice, you don't know exactly how many faith points you're going to lose. And therefore, the risk of running out of faith or losing losing your faith was a lot higher in that game. Yeah. So Now, I've only done that in one game and well, a number of sessions. But um, so I, I, game, I, I tried I'm not convinced by it. No. So I tried that as well for a little while in the playtests. And the feedback that we got was it, it, it didn't, we didn't like it on the grounds that it didn't, the risk of losing more than one faith didn't stop you pushing when you wanted to push. It mm. just suddenly meant you couldn't push again. So, you know, if, if you came up with a lot of ones. So it, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't make the player think harder or agonise over whether they should push or not. It just made it a bigger sort of gut punch if they pushed and then lost all the rest of their faith in one go. Mm. So it didn't feel right. But I, 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 again, I'm kind of, I'm kind of attracted to that idea a little bit. Um, yeah. But I, I wonder whether we in, should revisit it. But, in, that you know, way, in that way, it didn't work. So it might need a bit, you know, we need, might need to think about how we manage it. Um, what was I going to say? So I was going to say, uh, you know, this last session we played of, um, the playtest where I'm in your game, I've lost my faith. Yeah. With a mechanic that I don't think actually works. Um, no, I agree. I don't, I don't, but I've I lost don't... my faith. But one of the, one of the reasons why I don't think it works is my play style has changed. I'm less willing to roll dice because I can't get into a situation, you know, where I can't push my dice. So I'm, I'm Knowing knowing the odds of success, I'm less willing to get into a situation where I have to roll. Trying dice. to avoid rolling at all, yeah, that, that's, yeah. It's not, but that's it. Um, and and so that is actually the cost of the game, um, a bit because the other thing I can't do when I've lost my faith is get faith back. So the version when I ran it, you know, you could as soon as you're out of faith. It isn't that you can't push for the rest of the game. It's that you can't push until you've done a thing that earns your point of faith. So I just wonder whether there might be something about that fact that when you do go to zero in faith, actually there is a a bigger cost. That simply you, you can't simply go from zero to one again. Um, but we need to work out how you then go from zero to one at some point later on. Yeah. Yeah, so I think because I think that's, that you know that is a big cost when when you don't have faith. I've enjoyed it. It's it's not a cost that I've in, not enjoyed as a player, but my character definitely doesn't enjoy it. Feeling less <laughs> sure of himself. Yeah, so that's well, so that's really interesting because <clears throat> the way you're describing it there, your your character feels less sure of himself. That's a kind of exactly how you should feel. That's if you've exactly lost your what faith, we want, isn't it? Which yeah. is which is great. But then for me, it felt like denying you as a player the ability to push for a you know what we what your two-thirds of that scenario that we were playing say is is a bit unfair because you know pushing your dice is a really fun important part of the game um yeah so i, so I think i think we... also i think for sure the the way we're managing losing faith at the moment doesn't work and that needs to change yeah. but i think you're right there needs to be some so i'd love to keep the thing that somehow your character feels less sure and you know their their world is shaken a bit by losing their faith or going to zero faith points but without spoiling the fun for the player at the same time yeah so um i think you know uh the and no i at no point have i felt that my fun as a player has been done but we've only done one session so i've played yeah. a whole session like that um there was only one point but even then, I loved that, you know, where I did do a remarkable role. And uh, in our game, if you get four successes, you earn a faith point. Yeah. And I couldn't because I had no faith, even though I'd got four successes. This marvellous ride. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't get that faith point back. And yeah. that was the only time that slightly I was chagrined because, you know, as a player... Getting loads of successes when you're not pushing your dice is pretty special anyway. And then not being able to get my extra faith point out of that was 
only a little bit of galling, but still, in a fun way for me as a player, um, uh, it didn't affect the, the PC at, at all then, because... Uh, you had a huge he success anyway. He gets a faith point for running, yeah. but um, but yeah, that was the only point where I did it. So I just I just wonder whether if we can think of a great mechanic, a mechanical way. So uh, currently we've got a kind of narrative way to find your faith, and I don't feel that there was a narrative point there where I could claim to have my faith back, and neither did you as a GM. No, um, that, I'm never entirely happy with that. So again, it doesn't doesn't really. So work. I I just wonder whether the key is in finding the mechanical way to get your faith back. Yeah, and if we could do that, then actually the 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 cost of losing all your faith and not being able to play might be fun, as long as you know how you're going to get it back. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough chat. Uh, we've gone on too long. Uh, I've got to edit this and do a bunch of Christmas preparation. So I am proposing we end this episode, Dave. Uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I had no idea what we're going to talk about next time. Nope, but we had little idea what we we're going to talk about this time. So in the meantime, we need to think about what we're going to talk about next time. But also, as you said at the start of the show, we have got six weeks uh, until our 200th show comes out. And that's yeah. going to be, oh, it's not going to be far off. No, it'll be a little bit early for our... What would it be, our sixth anniversary doing the podcast? Hold on, hold on, hold on, Dave, hold on. I'm just realising that in two weeks' time, there's a little festival that may get in the way of our um, <laughs> recording. Where are we now? We're, we're there. Um, oh, yeah, that's actually Christmas Day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that might be so, an issue. Keep an eye on our social media or join us a Patreon and come and talk to us on the Discord and we will inform you about what is happening around Christmas and in anniversary, uh, 200th episode. Yes. Some stuff will happen that we haven't planned yet. <laughs> we, will be, <laughs> we will be planning it and working out exactly what we're going to do. Yes, excellent plan. We have a plan to uh, do some planning. Yes. Anyone would think that you were a you were a project manager, Matt, or a business analyst. <laughs> <laughs> Failure to plan, Dave, is planning to fail. It indeed. Prior planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> right. Um, and on on that note. <laughs> on that bombshell. Talking of piss it's poor performance. It's goodbye from me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.